So before I begin um, speaking on this topic about learning how to stay with the difficult, I'm, I'm wondering what you were staying with during your meditation, what you were noticing uh, during this last meditation. And so we don't have to pass around the mic for this one. You can just um, say it out loud and I'll, I'll repeat it. But um, what did you notice in the body? What did you mo- notice as far as thoughts, emotions, other senses? What came through? And you can just say it out loud. Sleepiness. Was that you too? <laughs> okay, sleepiness times two. Uh-huh. Say again. Physical pain. Mm-hmm. Yep. I was feeling it too. Back stuff. Yeah. Itchiness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love that you're here with that foot. <laughs> it's good for you. Yeah, itchiness. Um so many thoughts. Mm-hmm. Yep. Agitation. Mm-hmm. Mental conflict. Yes. Mm-hmm. Anything else you had to face? Uh-huh. So there were thoughts and then concern about those thoughts. Thoughts about the thoughts. Yeah. Absolutely. Anger, mm-hmm, yeah. Cold. <laughs> yes, thank you for closing the windows. It is a little chilly. There's blankets, by the way, if you are cold. You can grab blankets that are on either side. Okay, well, that's a good collection of experience. Any, any, um, any joyful, happy, <laughs> easeful... <laughs> I see some nodding. <laughs> yeah, what did you experience? I actually thought about my uh, job, my boss, like giving me a compliment. Oh. Uh huh. Uh huh. So, some joyful thoughts. A compliment, thinking about friends. Yeah, yeah, and just noticing how that was. Great. Mm hmm. Uh-huh, uh-huh, so feeling uh, both sides, the metta as you're practicing metta and then the anger, irritation, all of that, and it's just in flow, one, one and then the other. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Great, I'm glad we're naming some of these more... Um, maybe uplifting experiences too. It's interesting, isn't it, how quickly our mind focuses on the difficult and maybe even what went wrong during the meditation. And we're wired that way. We hear this in, uh, I think it's Rick Hansen who, who talks about our wiring, that we're, we are hardwired to, um, let's see, our negative experiences stick to us like Velcro and our positive stick to us like Teflon. It just... Right. So we are wired in this way. So it's nice to see and reflect on both. Sometimes we have to try a little harder to remember, oh yeah, that, that part of the meditation actually, that, that felt pretty good because um, we can get so focused on the difficult. With that said, <laughs> I want to talk about the difficult. I want us to actually take a look at that and see what's going on there. Because that is part of the experience when we come and we sit here. I want to read you something. Um, This is one of, from one of Pema Chodron's book, The Places That Scare You, one of my favorites. And she says this. First of all, it's helpful to understand that meditation is not just about feeling good. To think that this is why we meditate is to set ourselves up for failure. We'll assume we are doing it wrong almost every time we sit down. 
Even the most settled meditators experience psychological and physical pain. This is true. This is important, this next piece. Meditation takes us just as we are. Just as we are. With our confusions and our sanity, the complete acceptance of, our, of ourselves as we are is called Maitri, a simple, direct relationship with the way we are. Now, interestingly, Maitri, if you haven't heard that word before, might be because it's actually the uh, Sanskrit for our word in this particular tradition, uh, which we use this word in Pali, which is metta, which is loving kindness. So what Pema Chodron is pointing to is that this, this practice of acceptance and staying with just what's here is in fact a practice of metta. It is a practice of kindness, of friendliness to ourself and really to the moment. And when you think of it in this way, we can see how the opposite um, is, uh, you know, when we're, we're seeing the arising of an experience and it's something we're not fond of, we're not comfortable with, maybe it even scares us a little bit, uh, we don't want it here, and what do we do? We start to push it away, we try to patch it up, we try to fix it, we try to ignore it, we distract ourselves, we have all these ways of um, actually not being with it, not being with it. And that pushing away and um, almost distracting trying to destroy or destruct that experience um, really is the opposite. It has an opposite feeling of metta in the heart. Uh, There's a closeness, a tightness in the mind and the heart when we are relating to our experiences, our difficult experiences in this way. And so, you know, let's face this. When we sit down we are really facing ourself. We are facing our own internal experience. And it's magnified. When we are out in the world, there's all these distractions. Our, our senses are open. Our eyes are open. We're interacting with others. We're engaged in activity. And so it's a little bit different as far as what we're experiencing. When we come here and we sit and we close our eyes, we get quiet, you know, physically. (laughs) Internally, I know it's not necessarily quiet, but we get quiet with our bodies and we sit here and we pay attention. That internal experience is magnified. It's magnified. And some of that is going to be really uncomfortable. So can we stay with it? This is also in uh, Pema Chodron's book, the same book. And, but it's her quoting Jack Kerouac. I found it amusing and totally relating to what I'm talking about here. The beat poet Jack Kerouac feeling primed for a spiritual breakthrough, wrote to a friend before he retreated into the wilderness. If I don't get a vision on Desolation Peak, then my name ain't William Blake. (laughs) But later, he wrote that he found it hard to face the naked truth. So this is him now reflecting on on his time. I'd thought in June when I'd get to the top, and everybody leaves, I will come face to face with God or the Tathagata, which is the Buddha, and find out once and for all what is the meaning of all this experience and suffering. But instead, I'd come face to face with myself. No liquor, no drugs, no chance of faking it, but face to face with old hateful me. And that's what we're doing here. And sometimes it is that old, hateful me that we come face to face with. Or sometimes it's the fearful me 
the angry me, the agitated me, the doubtful me, the restless me, right? The sad, the depressed me. And that's who we end up seeing, the physically uncomfortable, painful even me. And so we're asked, though, in this practice to sit with it, to stay, to stay with that experience. So how do we do that? So to stay actually requires uh, certain mental strengths. Actually, there's a, a number of mental strengths that are needed to stay with the discomfort. And conversely, when we meditate, when we stay, we are strengthening these same mental states. So it's a bit like, I was thinking about this, it's a bit like um, running a marathon. In order to run a marathon, you need a certain amount of physical stamina to do it. You're not just going to wake up one morning not having, having run before and run a marathon. You need, uh, there's certain physical requirements in order to do this. And the best way to gain those physical requirements is to run. <laughs> we actually have to run to be able to do that. So same with our meditation. In order for us to stay and continue our meditation, to actually be mindful, we have to practice mindfulness. It's the practice of mindfulness that actually strengthens the qualities of mind we need in order to be mindful. So the work you're doing here, even when it's difficult, and even when suddenly the bell rings and you realize you were off in a thought maybe more than half of the time, You're doing something. You're cultivating something. You're working up for that marathon. So there's many mental strengths that are needed. Um, There's three that I wanted to focus on, and I mentioned them already. Acceptance. And you could say here self-acceptance, because we're really looking, uh, looking at the internal experience here. So acceptance, wisdom. Um, I'll also be talking about discernment and how wisdom and and discernment here work together uh, and are really one and the same thing. And lastly, compassion. And this would be self-compassion since we are uh, working with our own internal difficulties So this is not an exhausted list, obviously. There are many more mental qualities that we do develop in this practice, but we'll just focus on these three this evening. So acceptance, this word acceptance, we could also say in terms of our practice, our personal practice, we could also say acceptance is uh, simply seeing things as they are. It is the staying It's the action of staying with, seeing things as they are. You could say it's relinquishing control. We've been talking about that, actually, quite a bit this summer. The practice of relinquishing control, the control that we think we have, really the the fantasy of control, this idea that we are totally in control, and how much dukkha that creates. So really to accept the moment and the, what's being experienced uh, in the moment is this practice of letting go, relinquishing control. It's metta. Acceptance is metta. It's a kindness to ourself, really. I remember, I guess it's been 12 and a half years since I started this practice. I remember really quite well in the beginning how I I really didn't like myself. I really didn't I was not a fan of myself and I didn't realize how much I wasn't a fan of myself until I started practicing and it really started I got to see more and more of 
myself and my habits and, and um, really zoomed in on what was wrong and was really excited about the practice because I felt it was this way to fix all that. And um, my attitude was coming from a place of not really fully understanding. And it was a painful and long journey for me um, of really trying to perfect myself in a way that was actually very small-minded and that was actually um, not honoring all the parts of, of that make up me. Instead, I was at war with myself when I was in my practice. And I was very determined. I was, you know, a, quote, good practitioner. Um, Really, my practice was on fire in in the beginning. It was great. I could sit these really long periods. I was going on retreats all the time. Um, I felt pretty good about it. Until I hit a wall of... uh, not being able to progress in my practice because I, ex- I was spending so much time and energy trying to defeat myself, essentially. And not out of any kind of wisdom. This was really coming out of conceit, wanting to be something instead of uh, just being. There's a difference there. Wanting to be something. We do this in our spiritual practice all the time, I think. It's really easy to jump on this bandwagon of wanting to be something in our spiritual practice. To ourselves and also to others. Wanting to be seen as something in our spiritual practice. Instead of just being. And so it took me some time to actually switch that attitude and it went from incredible struggle at some point to just letting go of that struggle and just being with all these different parts of myself and accepting what was arising in the moment. And through that I noticed I wasn't having to pull myself away from parts of myself or push parts of myself away. I could just be still with whatever was arising. Doesn't that sound so much nicer? (laughs) So much more relaxed? It is. It's just this sense of being in it all. And all that, um, sometimes it's the ugliness. Sometimes it's judgmentalness. Uh, Sometimes it's that bitterness of conceit. Sometimes it's incredible fear. Sometimes it's sadness, just the most unbelievable sadness. And we can actually be with all of it when we accept that this is what's happening right now. This is sadness being known. This is conceit being known. This is fear being known. This is body pain. This is knee pain being known. This is, you know, tweaked back being known. This is headache being known. When we can just be with it, uh, it changes the relationship. This attitude of acceptance is necessary for this. When we are accepting in this way, It requires us to be with the rawness of nature. We are nature. We sometimes think we're separate. You know, we refer to nature as this area that we go out to. Maybe it's in Tilden Park and we go and we hike in it and then we come back out of nature. But this is a falsity. We are nature. (laughs) We aren't separate from it. Nothing is. We are nature. And when we sit here and we are face to face with all that is nature. We are in the rawness of nature. When we think of it in that way, perhaps, I know this, this helps me, it's not so personal. The rawness of nature, there's actually something really beautiful about that. If you've ever spent time in real wilderness, 
and just the beauty of that wilderness. I know that for myself, when I go into real wilderness, not a park that's been, um, you know, manicured and there's and there's paths that have been created for you and and cemented over in a parking lot. Um, not and that's not what I'm talking about. When you go out into real raw wilderness, and there's there's something exciting about it. There's also something a little scary about it because it's, it is the raw wilderness and we become really quickly in contact with the truth of what that means. That if we are a part of that raw wilderness, anything can happen. That we don't always have the protections that we do when we are, say, in a manicured park or in our backyard, right? Right? And so when we are sitting here in our practice and we are staying with whatever arises with this attitude and this mental strength of acceptance, we are coming into contact with that raw nature, the rawness of nature, that anything can arise. But at the same time, it's nature, it's natural. There's nothing wrong with any of it. There's nothing to do about it. It just is. It's it's existing. We're existing in it. It's just a different way of thinking about it. So in this rawness of nature, we are um, coming into contact with our humanness. And our humanness uh, is comprised of our uh, emotional experience, It's comprised of our cognitive experience, our physical experience, energetic experience. And when we start to pull apart the web of our experience, which is something that the Buddha taught so well, uh, he really, when you read the teachings of the Buddha, you see just how well he he again and again in so many different ways and from so many different viewpoints pointed to the fact that this is just, it's a web of experience. There's nothing solid about it. There's all these different pieces that are all coming together, working together that create a single moment and that moment is fleeting and it's here and then it's gone and the next one arrives and it's its own tangle of experience. And so when we untangle that experience and we start to see, well, what is actually here? And we see, you know, oh, there's this physical body. Okay, that's something. Well, we just talked last week about the physical body. And uh, I think actually, was it two weeks ago, talking about uh, the body in terms of the four elements. That this body that you're sitting in right now is nothing but raw nature. It is uh, comprised of the same elements that are uh, the makeup of everything in our universe. It's not like there's a special human element here. We are made of the same stuff as everything else. And so we can start to look and deconstruct this idea of our body. We can start to uh, look at our thoughts, our cognitive experience. Um, so fleeting, so believable, a lot of them. So much a rabbit hole for many of us. We just get on that thought chain and whew, we're gone. And it seems very real. It makes up a lot of our reality, our thoughts. The Buddha taught that as well, that we are our thoughts. With our thoughts, we create the world. That's our world, our internal reality. It's not necessarily the truth of things. So when we start to really pay attention to thinking, which we can, it's not excluded from our mindfulness practice. Even the really weird, disturbing thoughts that we sometimes have that we wish we didn't have, or the mean thoughts that we have, um, we can pay attention to that and see just how fleeting they are. They're here and then they're gone. They might be repetitive, but it's not the same thought. It's repeating itself, but it's not the same thought. It's not the same moment. And so we can pay attention to this and start to see that there's nothing tangible about our thoughts. 
I can't point to you a thought right now. It's, it's just this thing that's happening in my brain. It's, there's not a lot that's real about it. We can create beautiful things from our thoughts, no doubt about it. Our thoughts aren't a bad thing. But when we don't see them for what they are, they're really destructive, internally especially. There's not much to it. We don't need to give them so much weight. Our emotional experience, same thing. Without fueling the emotions that arise with, with our thoughts and with our identification with those emotions, it's simply energy moving through. It's just energy moving through. What is anger if the thoughts and the identification is not there? It's just a feeling that's moving through. It's passing through. It doesn't stay. It changes every time. And so when we are accepting of our experience and we are really paying attention and meeting all these different aspects of our momentary experience, when we start to untangle it and stay with it, not push it away, but really see it for what it is, It's not personal. It's no longer personal. When we see that it's not personal, it brings confidence. It brings clarity. We become more balanced with it. We can actually hold it. We can continue to stay with it when it's not so personal. When we're seeing it in this way through our acceptance, This is where wisdom comes in. This is the next mental quality I want to talk about is wisdom. This is wisdom. When we see really clearly what it is, what these difficulties actually are. When the difficulty arises, no matter what it is, it's physical, it's mental, it's undescribable sometimes when we really start to question, what is this really? What is this? And come out of this place of um, fear with what it is, with the discomfort, with the difficulty that's arisen. When we come out of this place of fear, out of this place of um, ignorance around it, out of a place of... um, know-it-all-ness <laughs> when we think oh we just know we know ourselves so well we just know what this is and make it so personal i know what this is it's me it's always me this is the same thing that happens to me every time i sit it's always going to be this way what is it what is it really when we take ourselves out of the picture and just see it for its rawness its raw nature what is it When we look at it in this way, it's kind of like we are turning the lights on when we think there's a monster under the bed, this ugly thing that is so big and going to completely consume us if we actually give it any attention. If we look under the bed or dangle a foot under there, it's going to get us. But this practice of staying with and asking, what is this really? is just like turning the light on and realizing that what we thought it was actually is not what it was. It was all in our mind. It was all an illusion. When we can turn on the light of awareness and see it really for what it is, this is where wisdom arises. I want to also say something about discernment, that discernment is part of wisdom, being able to discern what is true and what is not true. Discern also uh, around actions, what is a wise action and a non-wise action. Because when I talk about acceptance, sometimes there's this idea that when we are being super Buddhist and accepting everything, that we become passive in this world. That is not what I'm saying. If anything, we can become more conscious of what is harmful and what is not harmful. 
And so when I say that we are accepting what is happening in the moment, I mean that in this very moment we're accepting this is true, this is what's happening. I'm not saying to now lay down and, and take that <laughs> if it's something that's causing harm. If it's something that's causing harm in you or in somebody else, do something about it. This is wisdom. That is responding from a place of wisdom. To allow the harm to continue would not be wise. And that is not what the Buddha taught. So I remember, uh, so James Barras, who's the other guiding teacher here, his wife actually came and gave a talk not that long ago. And she talked about mindfulness. Uh, She's an MBSR teacher. And I just remember, I came and listened to the talk, and I remember one of the examples that she used around the confusion of mindfulness and wisdom. It was so, it was brilliant, and now I use it all the time. And that is, if you are standing in the middle of the street, and there is a truck that's coming down towards you, and you can be really mindful of that truck and of that experience. Here's a truck. I'm noticing it. It's getting closer. It's a really big truck. I can smell the diesel. I can feel it rumbling as it's coming towards me. Oh, now I'm hearing its horn. I'm feeling the anxiety internally. I can feel my legs are wanting to move, but I'm just going to watch that. No, you're not going to just stand there <laughs> and allow the truck to, you know, run you over. That is not what the Buddha taught. He would say, "Get out of the way. Use your wisdom and move. <laughs> Get out of the way." This is a non-harming practice. It's a non-harming practice. So we use our discernment to see when do we, in fact, physically stay and mentally stay with something, and when is it time to transform it into something that is less harmful? And that is a there. That is not a clear line. That is practice. That is where our practice is or one of the places where practice is. Constantly looking at where that line is. That's what we have to do. Because it'll never be this way, and, you know, it'll be, it's never just black and white. It's never that way. This is gray. We live in a gray world. So I just wanted to put that out there for discernment, that this, too, is part of this practice of wisdom and helps us understand more and more how to stay with the difficult, that we can use discernment. If you're having back pain, I was having back pain during this last um, sitting. I've been having incredible back pain, actually. I have a three-month-old that I'm carrying all over the place, and it's doing wild things to my body. (laughs) And one of them is my back. And so I can sit here, and I I can probably sit here through it, but I know if I can make just a micro-movement, oh, there's relief. And I can do the whole process of micro-moving with mindfulness and complete awareness and kindness to myself. And uh, so there's acceptance of here is the pain, and then there's some discernment that can be brought in. Oh, if I just, if I just relax the shoulder a little bit, oh, that's all I needed. Or if I just sit up a little bit taller, oh, that's all I needed. So does that make sense? Okay. So this wisdom, part of the way also that this wisdom works is that it it lets us see the fuller view. Wisdom is like standing out on a ledge and seeing the full view of what's going on. I remember uh, last summer I was in Massachusetts. I was assisting a retreat there at Insight Meditation Society, um, which is an affiliated retreat center with with our group here. And um, Massachusetts, that area has some rolling hills, but to our standards here in the Bay Area, it's pretty flat. I would call it flat. And I went with a couple of the other Dharma teachers. We went for a hike one day. And one of the Dharma teachers was really um, 
uh, really knew the area, and so she was leading the way. And then myself and another teacher, we were just we were following her, and we were following her through the woods. And it was the woods were pretty thick; uh, you couldn't really tell what was on either side. And there was a slight incline, but I couldn't tell actually that we were um, uh, gaining some altitude. And it wasn't until we got to the end of the trail that the the trees kind of opened up and we stepped out on this rock ledge that overlooked the entire valley that we had been um, uh, walking up. Uh, it was beautiful. And again, it's so it was so flat there that you could just see for miles. And so wisdom is kind of like this. You know, sometimes when we are in our confusion, uh, when we aren't seeing things clearly, it's like walking through really thick forest. Our view is very limited. We might be able to see just enough in front of us to kind of keep on the trail, and we keep going, we keep going. And then when wisdom arises, it's, it's very much like coming to that overlook and seeing the entire valley, seeing the, the full view of what is actually going on here. And so when we are working with the difficult and we are trying to stay with it, um, we, you can actually call upon wisdom. You might just ask for your wisdom to arise or ask for wisdom. It's not really yours. We, we don't own any of this. Ask for wisdom to arise and to see just what that does to the mind. It can take us out of kind of this tunnel vision that we get when we're so focused in on what's not going right or what's not comfortable or how it should, should be and it's not. We get so micro-focused and then all of a sudden we can ask wisdom what it knows and that view can just expand. And suddenly we're holding this discomfort in something that's so much larger than the discomfort itself. We're holding the discomfort in something much larger than the discomfort itself. And that's how we can, one of the ways we can really be with it and stay with it. So then, last but not least, would be compassion, self-compassion. Compassion, self-compassion is absolutely necessary to stay with the difficult. And actually, when you think about it, when acceptance arises, wisdom arises, and we are with the difficult, the mind and the heart's natural response to that is compassion. There's no room for anger, fear, uh, confusion, when wisdom arises, acceptance arises, compassion is the natural response of the heart and the mind. Isn't that wonderful? You don't have to try that hard. It's actually part of our humanness when, those, when these different mental qualities are present, that we are naturally compassionate to ourselves. I just think that's so beautiful. Because I think so much of um, our culture here in the West uh, is trying to cultivate something like compassion, this self, self-love, right? But actually, um, perhaps we don't have to try that hard. This practice really supports the natural arising of this compassion, And so this is really in contrast with pity. We don't have to pity ourselves. Compassion is not pity. It's not overwhelmed. We're not overwhelmed when compassion, real, true compassion, self-compassion is present. Those really uh, difficult moments, are it's no longer overwhelming. Compassion, I like to think of... Um, I'm, you might be able to tell that I'm a bit of a visual person, and so when I'm 
trying to work with a certain aspect of experience, I really like to bring in simile and, and visualization. And um, one of the visualizations I bring in for compassion is this um, kind of archetypal grandmother. And she's really big and she's soft. And you can, she's the type of person, and maybe some of you have experienced a person like this in your life. Maybe it's not your grandmother, but a friend. It doesn't even have to be a woman. It can be whoever. Um, But someone who's just able to hold you, either physically or just um, uh, emotionally even. And there's something soft about them and accepting And they're right there with you. And so this large, wonderful grandmother coming in and just giving that small, scared part of yourself a giant hug. And you can just let all of that fear and anger and um, dislike for yourself and for the moment and for the body and whatever is arising, all that aversion just to pour out of you because she can hold it. She can hold all of it. Compassion can hold all of it. And so when we are sitting with the arising of compassion in response to our difficulty, and this is coming from either we have been cultivating it, and maybe I'll give a talk just on compassion and how to cultivate compassion, because of course we can cultivate compassion, but we can also acknowledge the natural arising of it when that wisdom and acceptance is here, that compassion can hold hold all of our difficulties. The whole world of difficulties can be held in compassion. It's so much larger than any hatred, greediness, delusion, fear. So think about that for a moment or just let that in for a moment. Because that greediness, that hatred, that delusion and fear can feel so big and overwhelming. Compassion, wisdom, acceptance, mindfulness is bigger than all of those things and can hold the whole world's suffering and difficulty. I really, truly feel that way. And the Buddha in his own words, not in my words, that I I'm, I'm speak in a different way, but um, that's what he taught too. And so these three things together, um, I was, some of you know that I'm an avid sailor, and actually I live on a sailboat. And... Um, so water and wind and, and uh, being on the bay and in the ocean is, is meaningful to me. And I liken these three qualities of the mind and heart to a sailboat in the sense that uh, when it's really windy, which it often is on the bay, if you can sail on the bay, they say you can sail just about anywhere because it is incredibly windy. It's very choppy out there often. And those of us who like to sail, we get excited about that. We love sailing on the bay. It's a challenge. And so you can go out on the bay, and I know that uh, if you're sailing in a sailboat, um, the sailboat doesn't stay straight up and down. That wind, those gusts of wind will come in and the boat will actually lean. And the sails are designed for that. The whole, the, the, the hull of the boat is designed for that. The shape of the boat is designed to actually lean with those winds. And then the keel, which is at the bottom of the boat, and it, you, can't see it it's below the water line and it goes down and it's what actually keeps one of the parts of the boat that keeps everything balanced so you don't just you're not going to flip over you can actually lean really far uh, over and the boat will not tip over because of this balancing keel that is down in the water and the weight of the water uh, keeps everything uh, from going all the way over And so in this way, 
that wind is like our difficulty and the hull of the boat and the shape of the boat. Um, that is our ability to stay with, our ability to allow and to stay with the experience. We can lean with it. We don't get pushed over by it. We don't try and stay, you know, vertical with it. We lean with it. We go with it. We go into it. And that keel really is uh, our wisdom. It's what keeps us balanced. It's what keeps us afloat. And then when the boat is healed over this way, that's actually how it prefers to stay. It likes to be healed over, and that's where you'll get your speed. So you want, actually, the difficulty of the wind. That's where you're going to be able to move um, and actually glide in the most comfortable way when all these things are working together. And to me, this is the maitri, the metta, the compassion, this openness of the heart that can just be completely accepting of what's here in this moment. All three of these things working completely together. So, I think I'll stop there. I, I do want to leave some time for any questions or comments. I'd love to hear... Um, how you relate to this in your own life. And then, of course, if there's questions, um, I'd love to hear those too. And we'll just pass the mic around so that everyone can hear and also those who are listening to the recordings can hear. Thanks, Jaime. Um, I struggle with the idea of acceptance being not passive and Mm -hmm. I think of wisdom as something that results into being active which I relate with better Mm -hmm. and I'm wondering um, how to cultivate um, acceptance Uh in a way that doesn't feel like a loss of power completely Mm -hmm. yet that was brought up earlier too Uh uh-huh yeah it's um It's a great question. You know, think of this practice as being a table. And it's, this table is being supported by, we'll just say, four legs for the sake of simplicity. And you have to have all four of those legs balanced in the same length in order to have a flat surface, in order to have a strong table. And so this practice, when we are, we are practicing for freedom, we want to be free of this, of the unnecessary pain, uh, the unnecessary um, dukkha or um, stress that we, we cause through our misunderstanding. Um, to do that, we have to, we will notice that, okay, this leg I'm really strong in this aspect of practice, but this one is coming up short. And we, so we, we don't just focus on one thing, cultivating one thing. We do need to cultivate all these different aspects in order to actually be fully free. Wisdom without the heart, wisdom with which acceptance is the heart, this, this, um, uh, Ability to to relinquish the control we think we have, but we don't. We don't really have that much control. Um, that it does. It comes from the heart to be able to do that. Um, it's a kindness. Think of it as a kindness. It's not. Um, it's not being a doormat. It's not. You know, the the idea of this is not to become a doormat. Not to. Um, become a victim in any way that's harmful that's harmful this is a this is a motion of kindness acceptance so just to look at it in that way and it might be that the word 
acceptance doesn't really work for you. And you might need to find a different word. Um, So it might just be uh, letting go. To let go, that might be a word or a phrase that works better. Or something else, you'll have to explore it for yourself. Um, There were two parts to your question, though. Okay. It's, it is, you, you get the sense that it's an exploration, you know, that it's an ongoing investigation. And there will m- most likely, as uh, for everyone, as you continue to practice, uh, I know I find this, that there's things that I thought, oh, I totally get this, and I'm really solid in this in my practice. And then I, I f- meet it again later down the road and realize, oh, I don't really understand this, or this doesn't really apply to me right now, or it doesn't feel right to me right now. And so it's just an ongoing investigation and and practice. Yeah. How about um, right back here? Um, Your talk reminded me of one of my favorite, I think it's Thich that said, if you want to be a little happy, let go a little. If you want to be... (laughs) A little more happy, let go a little more. And if you want to be completely happy, let go completely. Uh-huh. Yes. And, and I like to remind myself of that one. And it kind of goes along with what you're talking about tonight. Yeah. Especially when I'm practicing and in my daily life too, like at work. Yeah. Um, it goes hand in hand with the preferences one too. The adage about um, the road is easy for those without preferences. Uh-huh. And that's one that, when I'm clinging to something that's making me have pain, if I remember that, it's, things get easier. Yeah. And just in general, those two, in my practice, in my daily life, those are the, the ways that I can get out of the trappings of suffering in the ways you're talking about. Thank so, you. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Linda. Hi. I'm confused by um, the, the phrase staying with. Yeah. It seems like a lot of what you talked about isn't staying with it. Hmm. So when you say, when I say staying with it, what is that, how do you relate to that phrase? Being stuck. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of repeating, um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, actually, when I what I mean by it is simply um, allowing our attention to stay with what's arising. So what's arising is arising. There's there's little tweaks that we can do. Like I gave the example of you can do these little movements to help a backache or. You know, uh, if you've got a repetitive thought, for example, you might be able to turn your attention to a different object so that it doesn't continue. There's different techniques we can use, but um, mostly what arises, arises. And there's not a whole lot of control over it when we're doing our mindfulness practice. And so this staying with is really staying in contact with our attention with what's arising, not trying to get rid of it, not trying to um, make it other than it is when it doesn't need to be messed with. You know, we have this idea of how our ideal practice today will go. And then anger arises. Well, there's, you know, we need to stay with that anger. There's, There's nothing, there's not like a, a Buddhist fire extinguisher that we can pull out and <laughs> extinguish the the anger with um, in in the sense of uh, you know there's different there's different practices that we can do like metta actually can be something we can do if there's a lot of anger but when we're just practicing mindfulness uh, really the practice is to stay with it and to learn from that anger. So the staying with practice is is more about the attention than anything else. That how can we stay attentive with the difficulties and not run away from it? Because those they are our teachers. 
They are uh, just as much our teachers as those really wowing, feel-good moments that we have uh, in our practice. The, the difficulty is, too. And so how do we treat them the same way, basically? How do we stay with them? Does that clarify it a little more? Okay. Thanks for, for asking that. Okay, last one. I have a question that's very similar, actually, um, mm-hmm. but in relation to staying with. So during practice or during other life events, I guess, when you're, you feel um, some sort of emotion or thought and you want to pay attention to it or stay with it, um, how, like when you're saying stay with it, do you mean, um, you know, when is it time to let go of it? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, so yeah. say you're with it and you're spending so much time thinking about it or uh-huh. being with it, and then when does that become harmful? harmful? Yeah, great question. Yeah. So the practice of mindfulness, really, I think I said this last week or maybe the week before, really what we're doing is we're becoming observers of our experience. We're observing it. It's hands-off, just observe. And we are doing this to do this. We're staying, we're staying with whatever is arising. But see my hand if, uh, is moving like this. These arisings, they're coming, they're going, they're coming, they're going, they're coming, they're going. We want to stay with that coming and going, coming and going, coming and going. Now, sometimes it can be helpful later on to reflect on something that came up and spend a little bit more time on it. We use our discernment for that. Yeah, this is something I need to really bring a little more attention to. But otherwise, we want to, this letting go process is already part of the nature of arising and falling. It is already happening. We don't actually have to do anything about it if we're just simply staying with, with our attention and observing the experience. It's our tendency to grasp and hold on to something that arises. One of those arisings comes up and we go, and we fixate on it. And we start to create a whole reality out of it. When actually that it that arose is already gone. We've made it into something completely different. (laughs) And so it's in those moments when we see ourselves creating that, And we can see, and this is part of the practice of really getting to know how how we are creating suffering in ourselves. Maybe it's just the body just got a little tighter or the mind just got really agitated and tight or confused or sleepy because it's getting overworked and a bit exhausted or... um, Maybe the breath has changed. It's no longer this natural flow. There's something, it's tight and it's way up here. There's all these little signs that we have just grasped onto something in the moment instead of allowing it to go through and just observe it and, and be with it in that way. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And then we also can watch the grasping. Oh, there's the grasp. You know, there's different layers to the experience. There I am. I'm grasping again. It feels like this. This is grasping being known. Oh, look, I just let go. Oh, now it feels like this. This is, this is just the nature of life. It just is this constant flow. Um, we aren't doing it. It's doing it. it. You know, we're part of it, but we're not doing it. It's more of just our mind getting around the fact that we aren't doing it, that we're not in control, that, um, uh, that this is actually the reality of things, of coming and going. Um, that we have a hard time with that concept. <laughs> That's why we're here. <laughs> we have a hard time with this concept. But the more we continue to stay with it in this way, the more that becomes the norm for our mind. We are training our mind to see that as normal and not resist it. There doesn't have to be any resistance then. Okay. So I really have to stop. And then we dedicate 
the merit, the, the goodness, the wholesomeness, the non-harming that we've done here today, the cultivation of this practice, the cultivation of wisdom, the cultivation of compassion, of maitri, of metta, of being here. We dedicate that um, to all beings everywhere. May all beings be happy and content. May all beings find safety from inner and outer harm. May all beings have health in the mind and the body. May all beings find freedom. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.